Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Joining me is someone whose software you probably interacted with. Maybe you were frustrated by it. Maybe you admired it. Maybe it's a combination of both. I'm about to take you behind the scenes to the business behind it. And I, I can't promise how you'll feel, but I'm telling you, I'm in, in incredible admiration of the business that they built up. All right. Guillaume Mubesh is the founder of Lemlist. What they do is let you send personalized, cold, automated emails. And these are the types of things that I get all the time. Hey, Andrew, can I be on your podcast? Hey, Andrew, can we buy an ad? But there's an ulterior motive often. Hey, Andrew, can we put uh, content together? It frustrates me. And at the same time, I have to appreciate how effective it is. And I want to talk about all that and how he built up this business. And we could do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, you're probably hearing me talk about it all the time. And if you're not on HostGator, then what's wrong with you? I'm talking about it because it works for everyone else. Go get on it. And I'm going to tell you later why you should go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And the second brand new sponsor, I'm very excited to have, to have them on because I have needed to hire salespeople before and just, you know, quick sales projects that you have where you want your customers to talk to human beings before they buy. That's where this sponsor comes in. It's called Overpass. They'll let you hire salespeople inexpensively, quickly, effectively, and also manage them using their software. I'll talk to you later why you should go to overpass.com slash Mixergy. First, good to have you here. Thanks a lot for having me, Andrew. Happy to be here. So I'm going to call you G throughout the interview. That's what everyone calls you, huh? Yeah, <laughs> that's easier. So I want to ask you a revenue, but let's get into this first of all. Aren't these emails frustrating and out of control by now? I'm telling you, I sit down every morning to go through my inbox and even my best spam filters can't stop them. And it's messages that are customized kind of to me with an automated follow-up, bubbling this to the top of your inbox. Why aren't you responding? And I know that it's just unwanted yeah. mail. <laughs> Sales. Talk to I, me about it. I think to be entirely honest, um, we from day one fought spam. So everyone, you know, like doing full automation, just getting a list of tens of thousands of people and blasting an email is not someone we want to, to have using your, our software. So from day one, our full focus was on education because what I find really beautiful about like uh, email outreach is that you can reach out to people you don't know at the other side of the globe and start building a relationship. But to do so, you need to spend time on each person you're researching and you want to reach out to and make sure that whenever you're reaching out, you start with something genuine. And to me, it's something we've been really, really pushing for many reasons. First, if you do that, you get much better results, meaning that you're going to meet much more people. Your reply rate is going to be higher. And on the second like part of it, which I think you mentioned, is like people are getting frustrated because automation is something that is more and more common. And we see a lot of people automating like spammy messages. But in the end, it's not also good for the business you're building or for the company you're working with because you're kind of ruining the brand people are working so hard to build. So we've been really pushing on the content of, you know, like how exactly do you build a relationship? How do you find the right people to reach out to? So to me, I think it's amazing <laughs> when done right. So what you're saying is the idea of taking a bunch of email addresses and then adding them to a list and blasting out a message to all of them doesn't work. It's true, but that approach hasn't worked for years. And there was a period there where it was so aggressive that I had to tell MailChimp to take my domain off their list because everyone would add me to their list and suddenly I'd get a bunch of messages. Now it's more of these messages that are a little customized, sometimes even sent out from our from the salesperson's Gmail account that are just they're overwhelming, hard to stop, and they're not very personalized. You told me before we got started, Andrew, that's how I appeared here on your podcast. But you know what? <laughs> I've got the email where you came, where uh, where we were introduced. It came from uh, lempire.co, which I'm going to talk about that .co in a moment. And it says, hi, Michael. Let me first say that I really enjoy listening to your podcast, dot, 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 for real. Hey, but Michael is Michael's just the person who's uh, our domain contact with uh, our hosting company. And that's what it is. Yeah. Like, so uh -huh. <laughs> first of all, you shouldn't have replied to that email. <laughs> uh, I, um, yeah. That's, so to me, to be entirely honest, like your, your email was sent by, uh, by someone from my team. And essentially like uh, they really in, in their research, if you read what's next, I think there is like a, a real 
intro line where it states um, a podcast episode that I listened to and that I liked and the reason why it would make sense for us to meet. And essentially, like, I think, again, you know, like, there is always human mistakes and what you what you've just seen i think and stated is uh, is is human mistakes and and this can happen but to be entirely honest for me it's when done right it works because you know like getting in touch with people where you can bring value to and if you are like 100% that whatever you're doing or selling it's going to bring value to the person you reach out to you should do it and uh, and it's important but adding people randomly to your list and sending newsletter, it doesn't work. Or doing the same thing with, even if you're sending from your existing email address, it's exactly the same for me, it doesn't work. However, if you add personalization, and even if sometimes like <laughs> the name is wrong, which <laughs> I think can happen, but this is like a probably honest mistake. Uh, I think it, it still works, you know? I, no, I definitely know that it works because it's, because it's coming through, because if you reach the right people often enough, even if it's awkward and clumsy, there there could be a relationship there. So frankly, that was awkward and clumsy, but the message about you was right for us. Um, and so I invited you on to tell the story because I thought the story was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so that I, I get that it works. I do find that it's a little bit um, uncomfortable at times too. Here's the other thing. It comes from lempire.co. My hunches because whatever messages you send it out from, they're likely to get a lot of spam alerts to Gmail and then the, you, you don't want to burn your main domain. Right? Um, yeah, no, that, that's not really the reason why. It's just uh, our company, like we have many companies. So we have lemnis.com, but our company is lempire.co where we have several projects. Uh, uh, we exited one company, yep. grew another one, and it's all under the lempire.co. Yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. All right. The business behind it is fascinating. Revenue is where? Uh, right now we're at, uh, we crossed 8 million. 8 in million? A, in ARR, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're Profitable? basically like, yeah, yeah. We're basically like our monthly EBITDA is higher uh, than our spendings. So we're profiting every single month more than $300,000. Outside funding? Zero funding, fully bootstrapped. Killer. And the whole thing started with an agency. Uh, yeah, so basically like, yeah, yeah, I had an agency back in the day mm -hmm. uh, where I was using, pre like I was running outreach campaigns for clients worldwide. So essentially like I was helping them book meetings with potential prospects. And because I was kind of frustrated with uh, the tools out there, I just thought, okay, maybe like uh, I could start a SaaS company and build a tool. So I met my two co-founders in 2017. And before, before we I, yeah. get to the SaaS part of it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. The, the key idea here was you said there are salespeople who need to get on calls with clients. They shouldn't be sending out email. They shouldn't be going back and forth. They shouldn't be scheduling it. You're going to do it for them. Basically, uh, a sales development rep is what that, that job is called. And you are an outsourced sales development rep. Am I right? Yeah, the, the agency was, uh, the role of our agency was exactly that, yeah. It was called Lead Guru. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No, this is this is a great business idea. You were using software to follow up. Was it just you at the time? Uh, we were like uh, three co-founders and two, and then uh, we had like uh, we hired a lot of freelancers. Okay. To okay, so take me through how you got customers for that business, and then how you got those customers on calls with uh, with potential clients. So essentially, like uh, we were doing a lot of sales prospecting ourselves. So reaching out to people we didn't know. So we're trying to figure out companies who had like a, a high lifetime value for what they were selling, because mm -hmm. usually for them, the ROI of having like five to 10 meetings per month is huge because if they close like uh, even one deal every month and it's like uh, tens of Ks uh, mm -hmm. per month uh, ARPA, then in that case for them, you know, it's like, uh, it makes sense and zero is there. So um, we were like targeting this company, doing our outreach. And then um, the, the way we worked was there were a first step where we were studying their ICP. So what is their ideal customer profile? Who are their existing customers? So we were kind of like digging into mm -hmm. the data, trying to find common traits to their customers. Based on that, we would find relevant prospect for them have them validate the prospect we wanted to reach out to, 
then do the entire copywriting of everything, sending out the emails. And then eventually from the replies, we would get uh, send them directly to them so they can set up a meeting and appointments. And the outsource people were partially to go and hunt down the contacts to get their email addresses. You would write the message, you'd send it out. Do you remember what software you were using at the time? Uh, yeah, we were using pretty much all our competitors uh, yeah. from right now, which are like Salesloft, Outreach, uh, Reply.io, uh, Woodpecker, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there were a bunch of tools that did it. I think this business model makes a ton of sense. Do you think that it still makes sense today? Can somebody go and create a similar business on Lendlist? Yeah, definitely. We actually have like uh, tens of agencies who are partners with uh, what we're doing. And it's great because I know like what worked, what didn't work. So I can also advise them from time to time. It makes sense because really for a business that wants to get clients, they don't want to sit down and figure out where the where, who their clients are or who their prospects are, get their email addresses, start sending out those messages. Makes a ton of sense. You built that up. How much revenue did you get to with that? To be honest, it was very small because I was doing that uh, on top of uh, my studies. So um, it was uh, basically in total, uh, it we, we generated a lot of money for our clients, which pushed me actually to... Uh, to go to the SaaS world. But uh, for us, I think uh, within one year, it was uh, around like uh, seven figure or something like that. But uh, yeah, so hundreds of How much did you thousands. take out for no, yourself? Sorry, six, six figures, sorry. Oh, so six hundreds, figures, hundreds of yeah, thousands. Yeah. yeah, hundreds of thousands. Yeah, While yeah. you're still in school. Yeah, but yeah, we had to, we had more expenses cause we had like, uh, you know, like data researcher, freelancers to find the list, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. The cost structure is different than the SaaS, but it was What was your best business. tool for finding uh, email addresses? There is no one best tool. So that's that's kind of the issue. But at the time we were using a lot, um, you know, like Lead IQ or like Hunter or this type of tools. But mm -hmm. the, the if you want to do the right thing, you need to combine them. <laughs> and, oh, you mean uh, try multiple yeah. different um, yeah. tools and then look for common email addresses and then use those. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I use that tool even for personal reasons. We use it for work. So if there's someone I want to interview, I use those tools to go and find their email address. But um, I just ordered something from a Shopify store and I the delivery stinks because FedEx is not delivering very well right now. They can't handle the pressure. And so I, I started con contacting customer support. None of it worked. I said, you know what? I got all these tools. <laughs> I went online and I found the, the name of the founder. And then I went on to, I think it was Headreach or Hunter.io. I don't know. And then okay. I got I got her email address. I messaged her after a month of not even hearing back from customer service. Boom. I got my money back. It was all resolved. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> I just tweeted out that, that I love buying from Shopify, but I have a challenge with their delivery. It takes forever. And then Toby instantly tweeted back. We're working on that. I wonder what he's going to end up doing. <laughs> All right. So you're building this whole thing up. You're in school. And then you say, I think I need to get into SaaS. I know the business rationale of getting into software as a service because you create software. It scales much better, right? It works without, without you in a better way. But what was missing? You already named a few different vendors who already created software to do this. What was missing? I think, I think for me, like they, they were several things. First, I think the education part of outreach was missing, meaning that the the persons you know who build this software were using taglines such as uh, "put yourselves on autopilot" and all these type of things. Like you're gonna be able to automate everything. Mm. And the truth from a day-to-day -day sales rep using like uh, tools like this is that if you want to have really good reply rates and you know like um, get a lot of meetings with your prospects, you need to personalize. You need to build relationships. And I felt like all these tools were really focusing on kind of like the blasting. So sending emails as a batch and really like automating all of that. And I wanted to showcase that we could make email outreach more human and that we could use ways to personalize even more your like outreach in order for you to get much better results. So that was our solely focus. And we mm -hmm. decided as a differentiator to start adding like dynamic images and videos to make the outreach more human. So what you want to do is say, I guess the way that all the other software worked was you upload a bunch of email addresses, you create a template for the first message, the second message, it goes out, et cetera. You hit a button, the emails go out to all the people, 
anyone who doesn't respond gets another follow-up message that you've pre-written. And it could go as long as I think YesMail found that even up to seven messages uh, of follow-up messages <laughs> are still effective and worth doing. And so that's the way that most systems work. You said, what if instead of sending the exact same message to everyone, we could personalize it by adding another field? But I think that the other companies already added other fields, didn't they? You could so, you could add a field for the first sentence and then just insert that into every message. You could do that in your CSV, but you didn't have really a way to review each message. Like the interface was not great and you were not able to add things like videos or personalized images and the way people were sending emails. So what really matters whenever you're sending emails is the deliverability, meaning whether or not your emails end up in spam yep. or in the inbox. And we really have worked along the years on very complex algorithm to make sure that your emails are actually in the inbox. So what we wanted to really help, so it's showcase on the interface that personalization is super important. So instead of just uploading your list and blasting, once you've done your templates, you have like a specific like page where you have to review each message. So you can see, okay. for example, if I'm sending a message to Andrew, I'm going to see like how it looks like for Andrew and I can add and edit to extra to add even more personalization to build relationships. So everything we did within the software was to push the personalization and help people get better at sending cold emails. Ah, where the others were proud that you could just hit a button and go. And that was Absolutely. their focus. You were proud of adding the extra step of check your message before going out. All right. And you did also start to mention, I, I didn't get to it yet, that you even had image personalization. This idea that I could have a cup of coffee in my hand with my name on it, a cup of coffee that I'm holding towards a camera with like a blank spot, and then Lemlist would add the the recipient's name onto it, or the recipient's company onto it. That's yeah. the thing that you had from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, one of like uh, our first, it was our first differentiator because actually like um, something's missing a lot in cold emails that you don't really see the person that's reaching out. So if I reach out with a video or if I reach out with, you know, in my second or third email with a photo of me doing like either holding a cup of coffee or something, it, it goes from really cold yeah. to, okay, I look at the person with reaching out to me and, you know, it's, it's better for building relationships. You know what? I always admired how, what was it? It was uh, growthhacker.tv. They created basically a mixergy for growth hackers and then they added a community. And one of the things that I admired was that when somebody signed up to their service, they had an intern create a personal video for them, welcoming them into the community. And what you're saying is that personal video didn't have to be different for each person. They weren't spending that much time. What's important is that it felt like not another generic message so that people open it up. And that's what you had from the beginning. How did you do personalization for video? So for, for videos, essentially like um, it, the personalization would happen on a dynamic landing page. So the video can be played on the email. So when people would click, so the image, the thumbnail would be personalized, but whenever yep. people would click, it would go to a personal landing page. So by just having, you know, on the landing page, like hello, first name with the yeah. first name replaced, people would actually hear the person saying their name in the video, even though if they were saying, Hey, or whatever, because we're like running tests and people were saying like, how exactly did you personalize each video for everyone? And then we're saying, no, we did not. And we realized that because at first, what we wanted to do is insert like dynamic screenshots inside the video yeah. or dynamic names and tags. Yeah, yeah. We did that, but we didn't see any really like um, differences in terms of reply rate and meeting booked versus a standardized video. So we went, uh, we moved away from it. Okay. And so you, you did that and then you had to, um, you had to build this, who built it? So my, my two co-founders, uh, Francois and Vianney, mm -hmm. they are like uh, a bit older, uh, started coding when they were six years old. So like really like tech geniuses. Uh, we met, uh, I think it was like uh, back in 2017 and in 2018, we decided to, to start working on the project. They're like 15 years older than you, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm like near mm -hmm. 30 and they are like 45. How did they end up or why did they end up partnering up with you on this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm guessing like for them, it was a, a very like um, difficult time because they had built software their entire life. Then they went to a very famous startup studio in France called eFounders that's created like Aircall, Front, uh, and few bunch of unicorns. Mm -hmm. 
And after that, like they started their own project again and it failed after like two and a half years. So with my agency, I actually helped them doing like some customer acquisition, uh, but for free because we were working in the same incubator. Uh, and afterwards, you know, like they, they were seeing me like putting the work, doing all the things that they couldn't really do. So we started discussing about starting a business together. And in 2018, we just said, okay, let's go, let's do this. Because they saw you doing the work. This was back when you were doing Lead Guru. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Got it. And I wonder about why you were doing that work. But let me take a moment to talk about my first sponsor and then come back into it. My first sponsor, uh, it's HostGator. I'm going to say, say what we said before, G, right? Anyone who wants to start a business right now who doesn't know what they want to start, I think that the whole lead guru idea would still absolutely work. And it could work not just for generic sales, but maybe in small niches. I've frankly seen people do this for podcasting, right? They say they're, they're basically becoming the lead guru for podcasters. They'll say, uh, Andrew, do you want to be booked on a lot of podcasts? Great, we can do it. And what they use is either Lemlist or software like Lemlist to customize messages to podcasters to say, hey, can you have my client on? And then they book the client and then they get paid. What What are some interesting uh, spaces that you've seen the lead guru model applied to where somebody will do this as an agency? So as you mentioned, like I think podcast or like PR works really well. Mm -hmm. we, we see it in SEO also. So people trying to build link. So for example, like, hey, I've seen this great right. article. Like, do you want to exchange links or do these things? In sales, obviously, like uh, <laughs> it, uh, it works really, really well. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty much like the, the three main verticals. And, and also like uh, I would say HR, we, we often like don't really think about HR, but HR in sales, it's exactly the same thing because you're reaching out to people you don't know and you want to build a relationship with them. So eventually like they offer a job offer, like they accept a job offer or they accept to become a customer. So yeah. I wonder if it's going to be big in real estate. Like bring your office, bring your, your remote people to our <laughs> office space. Um, all right. Whether it's that idea or anything else that you've got when you're ready to start your business and you need a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. When you go to Hostgator, they'll host your site right. I've done it within five minutes. You can get your site up and running. Frankly, I, I use WordPress because it's uh, fairly easy, very robust, and it's popular enough that I know it's going to keep getting updated properly. And with Hostgator, you can do that or many other different platforms and get up and running within minutes. And if you use my URL, I'll get credit. So thank you. And you're going to get the lowest price that they have available. It's available right now at hostgator.com slash Mixergy. All right, not to play uh, armchair psychiatrist, but I wonder how much of this was this hard work that you put into Lead Guru was because of the t-shirt business. Can you talk a little bit about that t-shirt business that you built? Yeah, sure. So um, basically like um, my first business was with my dad um, and essentially like uh, we we wanted to, to start a business together. Um, initially, like my parents, you know, like... Uh, like didn't study, didn't get any degree. And um, for them, it was important for, for me to get a degree, get a good job, et cetera. So they wanted me to become an engineer. So I became an engineer. And then after that, I started like uh, studying business because this is what I always liked, you know, like meeting people, building things, creating value, et cetera. And once I joined like the, the best business school in France, I decided to start a business with my dad. And at that time, you know, like uh, my dad knew how to print on fabrics. So he would handle like printing on t-shirts and I would handle like the business side of things. Um, I got a lot of, like I was putting a lot of pressure on my dad because I was 100% sure, you know, that when we would put the, the website live, we would get hundreds of orders. You know, it's, it's the internet. If it's live, we're going to get orders. <laughs> Did you literally think that if you put it up on the site, that people were instantly going to come and buy? Yes. <laughs> you really honestly thought that. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks for and, letting me know that I was stupid <laughs> at the time. <laughs> what happened then? You should have listened to Mixergy at the time. What happened then instead? Yeah, I didn't know Mixergy at the time. So that's why I, I didn't know that. But not to be honest, it's just uh -huh. like um, I had built a strong community around Paris and the brand was linked to Paris. So I thought that whenever we would launch a website on our community, everyone would buy. So that's why I thought we would get a lot of orders. But when we launched, we actually received like six orders. <laughs> so okay. it was like a total failure. And all my plan, which was we do a launch, we have like, let's say hundreds of orders. And then after that, people start talking about it and the business boom, it didn't work. So I was like so disappointed with, uh, with all of that. And I kind of felt like the after launch kind of like... Um, 
you know, like failure and the failure, I, I was kind of like reflecting it on my dad because, you know, I was like all, all the things that I was unhappy about what I did, I was kind of like putting it on himself. Like so what? Te- what did you, what did you blame him for? Like being too cheap, for example, like we, we never really oh. had money. So for example, like whenever you do like B2C ads, it's something that's usually like working well, but for us, it's like, yeah, we, we can't do ads. We don't have money. So I was like, okay, we're not ambitious enough. Like we, we should have started this business with more money, but you know, like, and, and then it's, it and was by stupid, we, it means you, know? you dad, if yeah, you exactly. didn't invest more money in the business, if you would have invested more money in the business, we would have done better. You're not putting enough into it. You don't believe enough in me. Is that what it is? You don't believe enough in anything. You don't take chances. So it, it was more on me actually. So, so the thing was like, cause we invested the same amount of money and, and it was more like me not willing to spend more money on this, me not willing to be like more ambitious in testing like risky things. Well, you were blaming yourself. And yeah, of course I was, okay. I was blaming myself, but I realized that much later because usually, you know, like when, when you dislike something about someone, it's usually a part of you ah, that you so dislike. So externally, you were saying, dad, you yeah. weren't putting enough into this business, but internally you felt you weren't putting enough into the business. Absolutely. You didn't invest, you didn't work hard enough. And so then when that business closed down, you decided, you know what, I'm going to spend much more time, much more energy on the lead guru business. Yeah. So, so basically at that time, cause I was still at school and uh, a friend of mine saw like the business kind of like failing and he was telling me like, Hey, I'm building this B2B uh, lead generation agency, which is something I didn't know about, but he's like telling me basically we're helping customers like find clients. So I knew like it was definitely like um, a real pain point because I had felt it. And I knew that, you know, like I had to learn how to acquire customers. And that person was actually like a, like knew a lot and could teach me a lot. So um, I decided like, it was quite a a tough time because I kind of like stopped talking to my, with my dad for a bit of time because, you know, like, yeah, things can get harsh in family business. And, uh, and afterwards, like I was like, okay, fully focused on lead guru with the will not to fail this time. So I invested a lot to bring value to, to people we were working with. Like what, what's one thing that you did where you push yourself beyond your otherwise limits? I think it's just like not counting hours, you know, it's like, uh, for example, be extremely like uh, available, uh, taking calls and meetings at any time, like uh, replying to customers within like half an hour, no matter like Mm. which day, weekends, etc. Always doing the extra mile, always saying yes, which is definitely a mistake, but, you know, like taking clients that are not part of your own ICP and just like saying yes, you know, so to challenge yourself even more and help them like, solve issues that is not really your job to do in the end, but yeah. Okay. And so then you, you push yourself. It seems like that paid off. It seems like, except for saying yes to every client, that kind of hustle, that kind of work ethic actually helped you, right? Yeah, definitely. Cause to be honest, it is, I guess it's a time where I learned the most in very little time. What'd you do with the extra t-shirts that your dad printed up and that you couldn't sell? <laughs> so we, we sold them out to a, a four-star hotel in Paris because the quality was really good. And uh, I, yeah, we, we found someone. Happy, what was it so. about the t-shirts that they wanted? I guess they were French and Par- a Parisian t-shirts. Am I right? It was Paris. Yeah. So it was like uh, printed in Paris and then uh, the, the cotton we were using was traceable. So it was like a bio cotton, organic cotton, et cetera. So yeah. Did you lose money on it? In the end, no, or okay. a bit, because I think maybe like 500 bucks because uh, it was a cost uh, to to basically like close the company, but overall it's, it was not. Uh... That's fantastic. All right, the first version of Lemless coming back then to this business, what did it look like? How was it? <laughs> it was not as good as right now, <laughs> but to be honest, it's, uh, it, was, it was quite tough because uh, we were in a very competitive industry. Um, my co-founders were older and they were kind of like, telling me, okay, we built this in three weeks. Now it's your time to sell it. Even though we are in a super competitive space and people have really high expectations because they've been using similar like tools. And uh, so, yeah, very basic features. Um, it worked, but very like uh, basically interface was not great at all. But, uh, but yeah, we, we just like kept grinding, kept meeting people, kept selling on, on the vision and on the, on the ROI that the product could bring. And I think iterated a lot. 
you were using your own software to get customers, right? You're finding customers who should be ideal agencies or, or individuals. What was the target? In the, in the early days, I was, uh, I was targeting like, um, more, I would say like CEOs of very small, like, uh, companies were probably doing the outreach by themselves, uh, or not, but were looking for ways to grow and agencies at the same time. So agencies, because I had done it in the past. So I kind of like knew what was their pain and for, uh, individuals like CEOs, uh, at, at small companies. Um, I know like a lot of people didn't know how to do outreach. So for me, it was an easy selling point because if you, if you book a meeting with someone and you ask them like, okay, what's, what acquisition strategy have you, have you tried? And they don't mention cold email. And then you're like, okay, what do you think about cold email? And then they say, well, I don't know. I've never really done it. And I don't think it works. Then you can tell them well, you know, like we're having this meeting because of a cold email. So, you know, and, and then it's a selling point that works really well. And, and I knew that I could kind of like convince them on trying. And at first, what I was doing is I was doing kind of the same thing I was doing with my agency, meaning that every time I was onboarding them because I knew the product was like really like not ready at the time. You, yeah, shit. Okay. <laughs> product was shit at the time. Uh, I was basically like helping them rewrite their template, explain, like teaching them, helping them, you know, like send their first uh, sales campaign. Yeah. If you can't help improve the software in the moment, you could at least help write the copy for them. And you're saying, this is you going back to saying yes to everything yeah. <laughs> just to get the client. All right. But that makes sense in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and you were selling to people who didn't know about the competition. It's not like they were trying this for a long time and looking for better software. You were, you were competing with nothing. Got it. And so you're starting to get customers. Your co-founders were improving. What's the first big improvement that they made? Um, I think I think it's just like their their quickness in iterating and developing new features all the time, whether it's on the interface or new things or like really like the fast delivery was amazing because everyone I was onboarded one week later, they would see like changes in the app. So everything I was actually like selling during the call, selling the vision, selling that we want to build the best tool ever created. They would see, you know, like I, I love when it's uh, I love the, the sentence of like lead with example. I think it works with pretty much everything, but if you showcase to people, you know, that you're actually doing the work and that things are moving fast then the trust relationship is there. Ah. And yeah. Yeah. So you're saying you can keep coming back to clients and say, here's another thing we didn't have before, or you mentioned this, we've got that feature. Yeah, I get that. All right. And so you're improving. Let's take kind of a detour because the business took a detour. What was Lempod? <laughs> yeah. So, so Lempod, it was in 2019. Um, essentially, you know, like when you were a small team um, and you post on LinkedIn, you're going to ask your team like, Hey, guys and girls like can you engage on my post like put a like because it's going to boost uh, your reach and then eventually i was like this is stupid you know like to ask two people to engage when this is definitely something that can be automated so um, i i I started talking with vianne and francois we went on on a team building together and and then we were like okay would we be able to build that so they built like a, a chrome extension in like two days at a conference that was helping like people to automate this so I started talking to a few of my friends in marketing, growth, et cetera, and they kind of loved it. So after like five days, we had already like 150 users, people like using the tool. And after like three weeks, it was like a thousand. So I was like, okay, wow. like this is, yeah, this was huge. And people were getting like amazing results because essentially people were putting themselves into groups and they would be in groups. And then like, whenever they are in the group, whenever they post, everyone from the group will go like their content. But the truth is like, at the time, my idea was like, okay, you're going to do it with your team or people you do know, and really like actually have interaction with, but the product turned out to be like something really like, uh, that I'm not so proud of. Uh, I mean, we made a lot of money with it, but it's, it's just like it became the biggest marketplace in the world of pods, meaning like uh, groups of people trying to like uh, get more likes. And eventually, you know, like um, it was just out of control because our best paying customers were actually like the worst spammers. So for example, people telling you like how to do like online betting and all these things that I really hate. And they were like buying likes from real people 
just you know uh, like you were joining selling it you weren't just connecting them into pods you were also letting them buy likes no so so it was not like buying likes it was you you were buying like the pods you are in so for example let's say that there is a pod is a group so for example mm -hmm. if you have like let's say ceos in los angeles yep so people would join that group and the admin would let them in so we yep. would our our assumption why was initially that admins will always control yeah. the quality of the members of their group but eventually like we started having people creating like a lot of fake groups with titles like CEOs in Los Angeles. So if you're a CEO in Los Angeles and you arrive on Lampard, you're going to join that group. So you're a real CEO, but someone else is just like creating the groups and creating this for every cities. And but yeah. were they asking, was your software automatically liking the, the posts or were you just coordinating the requests? No. So essentially like the software was automating the like for people in the same group. Oh, so for example, if you are like in a group of CEOs and you post all the CEOs in the group are going to like your content. Automatically like it. Got it. Exactly. Okay. And, and eventually like uh, we thought, okay, we're saving time for people. It's just something that you can use with your team, et cetera. But actually very quickly it became like the biggest marketplace of pod in the world. And uh, we were at like within 12 months, we were at like $600,000 in revenue. And mm -hmm. this is where we decided to exit the business because we couldn't really manage like both Lampod and Lemlist at the same time with the hyper growth we were having on both projects. And for me, the idea of, of having like an exit was first, it's quite cool to have an exit, like let's face it. Uh, second thing was we will find people who are actually willing to invest more energy into like find, like really monitoring the quality of what's happening etc and would kind of like rebrand and redo something about it and uh three it was just like having full focus on lemlist did you get into any trouble with linkedin on that yes <laughs> so how did they even know how would they catch yeah, so it we were they starting to look for common votes? Yeah, so we broke their algorithm essentially so the the issue with uh, the pod it was it was really really effective uh, because it was, uh, you know, like matching their algorithm to, to get more rich mm -hmm. and, uh, and eventually like LinkedIn kind of like changed entirely their algorithm in order to detect this type of behavior, wow. which were, which were really like difficult to detect for them. So they spent like a lot of time with, uh, with that. And whenever we sold the, the product, LinkedIn actually reached out to me because there were a video of me as a CEO of Lampod <laughs> and, and they told me like, uh, you need to stop. Okay. And I told them that we had sold the, the company. And then they said, okay, then give me the name of the, the new owner. And I say, it's not possible. Like we have NDA, you know, whenever you're doing like, a, when your business gets acquired, uh -huh. it's not possible to, to give the name of the person. So I tried to explain that to them. Then they didn't believe me. So I basically like made them an intro with the broker. So we had like a, a broker, like website broker that was basically like helping us to sell the business. So this person basically like told LinkedIn that I was not the owner, uh, that it was like an Australian company, et cetera, et cetera, but that he couldn't mention the name. But eventually like, um, it's just, no, I, I don't think, I think he didn't even mention it was an Australian company. I just think he said like, yeah, it's, it's a different person and Guillaume is not involved in there, but LinkedIn didn't really care. And they, they blocked my LinkedIn profile. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and then they were like this, because um, at that time I had like tens of thousands of followers uh, making like 1 million of reach like uh, every single month. Like it was really like a, a good thing <laughs> for our business, <laughs> but uh -huh. uh, but they, they killed my LinkedIn profile. And then back in uh, early on this year in 2021, there was this uh, big mission called uh, Free Guillaume Ubesh. Uh, <laughs> and uh -huh. actually like hundreds of people, even thousands of people like posted on LinkedIn to so LinkedIn like uh, give my profile back and they actually killed the hashtag free Guillaume Mubesh. So if for example you do a post right now with the hashtag free uh -huh. Guillaume Mubesh, your reach will be zero. Like <laughs> they're, they're gonna put you into like they, uh, <laughs> they never from what I could see they never let you back on. You now have a brand new account with yeah. just G period. Yeah, that's me. No yeah. last name, no nothing. And then it says it does identify you as the CEO and founder of Lemlist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> got it. All right. So this didn't work at all. You had, you almost had a sale. Then LinkedIn came and crashed and cracked down. Then you had a sale at a much lower price. You got yeah. out. Can you say how much I have the price here? Can you talk about what it is? 
uh we we didn't like uh, well, we can't disclose it. hundreds of thousands millions uh yeah number one hundreds of thousands okay i i do have the number here i think um i do i have it here but i i think we got it from you in in uh private conversation so i'll hold back on it <laughs> did you get to cash out yourself from that you get so, to put yeah. some money in the bank yeah yeah of course so we put some money in the bank and uh we have like a, a different structure uh to lower risk on both sides but yeah yeah it's uh it's it was not like the exist of our life definitely not but still like it's still uh yeah what's the lem in lempod lem list where did that come from <laughs> so essentially like um when we wanted to find a name in the early days i was chatting with my co-founders and telling them how important a name is and then they're like, we don't give a fuck about the name. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> and they were like, here's a biz guy, find it. So I started brainstorming with my dad. And then I wanted like basically a short name with only like two syllables. I wanted the .com to be available. And I wanted a name that didn't exist. So at that yeah. time, we were doing like emails. We had lists, et cetera. And eventually my dad said, lem lists. And for him, LEM meant Lunar Excursion Module. And he's like, with LEM list, you're going to bring your customers to the moon. And because my dad uh, do a lot of design, he kind of like designed the first uh, landing page of LEM list with kind of like a moony atmosphere. Um, and, and then, you know, we, we said like, okay, all our project would start with LEM. So we had LEM list, LEM pod, LEM stash, LEM verse, et cetera. So we decided to call the company Lempire. Uh, it does make sense because it's easy to spell. All right. Um, by the way, I was looking to see, did I ever interact with you before? Because I have a feeling we've talked before. And what I found was from like three years ago, I sent your company or two years ago, I sent your company a, a tech support question. Like, can you do this thing that someone in my audience is looking for? And then the response came from you. You're the guy who is answering <laughs> the, the chat. And so I've got an email of the chat transcript. All right. Let me introduce you to a company that you don't know about. It's called Overpass. Here's where I freaking wish I had discovered this before. Gee, we've sold software in the past. Well, actually, no, we've sold membership in the past for a couple $3,000 and people will pay for it. The thing is that they're much more likely to pay for it, I discovered, when they talk to me. And I wanted to see, is it just because it's me or is it that they, have a, they want to talk to a human being? And so I had my wife, frankly, a couple of times just get on calls with people. They talked to her. Um, I didn't have anyone on my team who could do sales calls or who could talk and feel comfortable and would be available. But occasionally we'd have a couple of people who could be around for the day or two to just answer. Um, we're usually a remote asynchronous company, so it was hard to have them. I thought it would be such a pain to go and find a good salesperson, find somebody who could do this. And so I just didn't look for someone, especially since we need a short-term burst when we're doing these sales and then we close up. What I discovered recently is overpass. The beauty of that of their services they have a vetted group of salespeople. It's not super expensive. You can onboard them very quickly. You can watch them and see their ratings before you hire them. You can use the Overpass software to manage your interaction with them and make sure that they're actually doing the work, representing you well, and so on. And then to make sure that they get paid, not just from what I see here, the price, frankly, that their salespeople get is not that high, but they also get a commission but to make sure that the whole thing's handled, all beautifully done within Overpass. You were talking about sales as a service that anyone can spin up like that. And if anyone out there is selling a thousand dollar product, if you're asking people to spend a couple of thousand dollars, you need this. Do you guys do that by the way, G at Lemless? Do you have salespeople who talk? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We have uh, we have the sales team and, and we like to keep human interaction because as you said, I think it's uh it's definitely like uh, one of the most important part of sales is trust and mm -hmm. helping people out. And sometimes it has to go through like a human interaction. And I feel like for certain things, like bigger purchases, things that are more directly connecting your customer with their customers, they want to talk to a human being and make sure that it works, make sure that the, that the company can stand behind it. All right. Listen to me, people. If you want to go try this out, you should at least go and check out overpass.com slash Mixergy. When you use that URL, they're going to take 10% off. Um, and also, you're going to get to see their service and see how easy it is to add a salesperson, a real live human being who can close sales into your business. 
really, this is an amazing service. I wish I thought of the idea since I didn't, I'm just going to introduce you to it. And I know that people are going to thank me for introducing them to it. It's called overpass.com. Like you're going to overpass a competition, overpass customer resistance, so much more. All right. Overpass.com slash Mixergy. You ever come across, are you like an idea person where you just keep wanting to come up with ideas and go, I should have come up with that one. That's a great one. (laughs) <laughs> uh no i usually like no. have my own ideas yeah do you do you have a collection of them that you're constantly thinking about and considering creating yeah i have like uh i have a place where i put like all my ideas and uh of the things that i'd like to do or where Give me I one. what's a good one that you're not going to do but maybe somebody in the audience can jump on to be honest like anyone that would build like a, a very good centralized inbox so for example like if you look at linkedin inbox it's a mess you can't find anything on it you can't search mm-hmm. the search doesn't work like linkedin search is probably like the worst search ever like i'm not sure what's yeah what's happening there i i understand they have a lot of data but in any case it's it's not possible to to reach out or like find anything so if, for example, you could have like um, a new inbox where you can search for any conversation you had, no matter what channel you used, because as an entrepreneur yeah. or head of growth, or yep. you're communicating on so many channels, I think it's, it would be like wonderful. And I would pay for that. And I know like at least a thousand person would pay for that as well. You know what? Sean Rad, the founder of uh, Tinder was on an early Mixergy interview back when I was willing to edit things out and cut out interviews. He sat and he <laughs> talked about how he created a business, G, that did just that. And then at the end of the interview, he goes, what the hell did I just say? Andrew, can we just edit that out or remove it? And so I removed it and then, uh, and we never re-recorded it, but he essentially did that. It's a really tough business to get into because all the platforms want to fight against you. Yeah. They want you to go to their app. They want to be the main communication. They don't want you to disintermediate dis, um, them. But yeah. I, I'm totally with you. Even Twitter. I do a lot of my business during uh, through Twitter. Somebody will mention something, and then for me to go and find them is a nightmare because DMs in Twitter are, are helpful, but you can't search for them. I can't say, yeah, who's the guy who said that he's going to be a noe? You have to remember the person's name and go hunt them down. Um, <laughs> by the way, speaking of LinkedIn, I had a sponsor earlier in the year that did essentially what Lemlist does on LinkedIn. What they would do is they, their software would help you find the right people to connect with on LinkedIn, uh, write up your message, add customization, and then when you're ready, you hit send on it, the messages go out, and then some people will engage right back in real time, and you just sit there at a coffee shop and you respond back and you close the sale. Why didn't you guys ever get into LinkedIn or did you? Uh, we do that actually also. So it's you like, we're, yeah, now we're, it's, it's more like multi-channels. So the product has been evolving like a lot, but you can do like any channel you want uh, directly from Lemlist. So essentially like, uh, because to me, I think like uh, sales is, a, is something you should build on the terms of the person you're reaching out to. And some people are very like comfortable on LinkedIn, others on email, others on phone. And if you want to maximize like your results, you should reach out on the channel your prospect is the most comfortable on. And to do that, you yeah. need multi-channel. So that's why we, we decided to build it. <laughs> I didn't see that. I saw that you do phone integration. I thought it was with a third party, but you're saying it's part of the, the Lemless software? So like phone can be either a task and you use your own phone or you can use a tool like Aircall. That, that's uh, what I thought. Basically okay. like, uh, yeah, but for social, it's integrated. So LinkedIn is integrated. I can do the same thing, just warm people up on LinkedIn. What about Twitter and other platforms? For Twitter and other platform, you can do that by uh, API. So either you use a tool that has another API or just like uh, trigger like some, some of the integration we have. Okay, what else do you have? What other integrations? What, where else can I warm people up? So the, the truth is like with, uh, since we can trigger anything by API, like, uh, you could do, for example, like real mail. So that's, that's also something like sending paper letter, essentially. Ah, like, uh, yeah. It's, it's something like no one does, but actually like, uh, can give really good results. Uh, Through a service like cases. Lob. Sorry? Through a service like Lob, Lob.com. Okay. Right? Uh, I don't know about, uh, Okay. You Lob. don't know which service, yeah, but yeah, we've used yeah. it a little bit. It's okay. really helpful, especially for, um, for sales that you've closed because it's very inexpensive and it reaffirms something. You know where we used it? We were doing uh, payment plans for something and a lot of people were just kind of blinded to the idea that they were on a payment plan, no matter what we wrote on the site, it just didn't feel like it. So then we created a letter that we sent out 
as soon as somebody signed up that said, thanks for signing up. We trust you enough to put you on this payment plan. But if you have a problem and you want to cancel, you can just cancel right now. And we've experimented with different variations of it. And that, not completely, that changed things dramatically. People finally understood that there was a payment plan. If they wanted to cancel, they could cancel. It just created a sense of seriousness because they held it in their hands. And dude, it cost less than a buck. Yeah, it's very right? cheap. <laughs> very cheap. And it's just like firing off an email. You just trigger it using, for us, it was using Zapier. All right. So first messages were you using Lemless to reach out to potential customers. Then you looked at your open rates. From what I understand, uh, you would take screenshots of the open rates, of the click rates, of the reply rates. And then you started posting them on different Facebook groups and saying, this is what I got. Contact me if you want something like that. How did you yeah, not absolutely. get kicked out of those groups? What did you say that worked? The, the truth is like, uh, I mean, if you're bringing value, it's like, hey, like the, the message would be like, hey, everyone, we just like build this new software that allows you to get this type of results. If you're interested, simply comment me. I ask people to comment, not to reach out, because if you ask people to comment, the more they comment, the more other people are going to see the post. And, you know, it's kind of like viral. And to be honest, I, I'm just thinking it's like, uh, yeah, if it's bringing value, people are like, okay with that. And, uh, and as the posts were like really viral from the start, like it was really a quick way for us to, to get initial traction and initial users to get as much feedback as we could. Okay. So that helped you get customers. Were you also on, um, on AppSumo? Yeah, we, we launched an AppSumo where we're in early beta just to get again, same, like a lot of customers get a bit of cash. So we made $160,000 in two weeks. Wow. But AppSumo took 70% of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still good, you know, like for a SaaS, like making 50K when you don't have money and you just started out, it's, it's still no, good. You money. sold 160,000, they took 70%. So you got what, 48? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's still solid, right? You're getting started, but more than that, now you have real people using your software and you can see the problems that they have. You can start improving it, right? Exactly, exactly. What else did you do to get early customers? So the, the other thing we did is like, um, so doing my outreach, I was doing a lot of discovery call, spotting, you know, like uh, what pain points people were facing and putting them into buckets. So for example, if I reach out to you and I ask you, okay, Andrew, what's your current open rate? And you would say 40%. I would say, okay, Andrew has deliverability issue. So I'm going to put like a mark on deliverability for you. And then, you know, like if I reach out to Sarah and Sarah says, I've got like 2% reply rate. I know, okay, Sarah has a problem in copywriting because her reply rate is way too low. And then based on that, you know, like I would build relationship with people and write the appropriate content for them. And once the content was live, I would reach out again with the appropriate content in order to build this strong relationship where I'm always providing value. And based on that, I would start inviting people who sign up to Lemlist to a community of, uh, of our users where because I had, I was the only one handling customer support, as you've seen from the message back three years ago. <laughs> and essentially, like um, I would have people in the community answer most frequent questions that people ask, do like Loom video where I showcase the product, the new features, showcase my campaigns also with existing templates, like being fully transparent with everything we do. And from there, like writing the right content to the right people and kind of have this cycle of growth where my only focus is bringing value. So I'm listening to the users and uh, find answer for them. All right, here's another thing you did. You seem to just constantly be out there talking. So for example, this thing that you just described right now, there's an, a more in-depth understanding of what happened during the AppSumo launch on indie hackers. You're constantly going out, you're writing on there, you're um, on LinkedIn. Well, now I guess a little bit on LinkedIn, but you're constantly <laughs> doing it. How much of your day is spent doing interviews like this or going out to indie hackers and writing or going on to other platforms and making sure that people see you? I don't really like count the the hours or or anything. I just I just like to share the story and, and I do it mainly, I think like, uh, the, the first reason why, you know, like uh, I started writing about our journey and about our failures, the things we did right, et cetera, it's because one of the articles I read that really inspired me was from someone who were explaining how they found out their 10 first customers. 
and he was detailing the process and I was like, oh, this is awesome. I need to write similar stories. So I started sharing our revenue publicly. I started like, you know, like sharing the, the stories up and down, et cetera. And I saw that, you know, it was really inspiring for some people knowing that, yeah, of course you have the shiny numbers and the hyper growth and everything, but we also have a lot of downs. We also like, I screwed up a lot. I failed in the past. I failed businesses, et cetera. And I think this is powerful. So yeah, I, I don't count how many time I spent per day or per you week. You actually enjoy but, this. This yeah. is a pretty intense article that I'm reading here on Indie Hackers. And it's not even an article. It's basically a post in their community, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You just sit down. How long does it take you to write something like this? Uh, I, I usually like multitask. So when I write an article, I usually write like four articles at the same time. Uh, just because my brain functions this way. Like I know okay. some people like to be like super focused on one thing. I like to start writing, do something else and write about another topic at the same time, then come back because okay. I had other ideas. So usually I think like, uh, yeah, a, a week for an article that is really like ready to publish with me going through on it uh, afterwards. All right. I think the only time that I saw we are two co-founders mentioned online was in the, yeah, here it is. You basically have this uh, gif of cats typing away at the keyboards to show how hard you were working to respond to comments. And then underneath it, as a joke, you said real footage of Vinay, Francois, and I. <laughs> I think Vinay, I, I, when I do a search for Lemless Founder, I see just you all over the freaking place. I had to go to Crunchbase to see there's got to be the names of the other two co-founders. He's talking about them here. Nope. Vinay is in there. He's the founder and CTO. Francois, I only saw there. Is Francois still with the business? Yeah, of course. Francois is a, is a little brother of Vianney. So they are two brothers, actually. And, uh, and Francois is a, is a bit like uh, more shy, I would say. Uh, but Vianney and Francois, I always mention them in every single article. So if you go to lempire.co, you would see us three on the homepage. How do they and, feel uh, about yeah. you getting, getting so much attention? It's, uh, it's not easy. Um, because obviously like, uh, we, we started the company remote. So as we grew, obviously like my per personal brand grew a lot also. And, um, and eventually, you know, it's, it's that time where you need to think like, do you really know the person you're working with and how do they see you, you know, like from the outside. Yeah. And, uh, and I think like, it's really important, you know, to communicate and really have like, uh, open conversation. And I think that we have that. So obviously, like they are happy that I'm the one uh, that represents the face of the business because they really don't want to do it. <laughs> so, so it's helpful for them. Uh, but and they're not the, feeling like this guy, G, he keeps getting all the attention. It's like he's the founder, but we're doing all the work. I, th I think it's just like uh, I'm getting the attention because I'm showing my work. And I eventually, like early on this year, we... We had this chat actually because it's uh -huh. it's it's very honest question. You know, it's like okay, like am I getting too attention because too much attention because we were going getting a lot of PR and being on every media, etc. And, and eventually, you know, I was like, now it's my time to challenge you. You know, like because you were challenging me in the early days because you know I was like this young CEO. We had never worked in SaaS, and now we built together like a multi-million dollar company. And and then I told them like, okay, but you know, like all the extra mile, all the hours I put, all the work I put. Now it's maybe like, if you want to have like, uh, to build your brand and build your image, like I would challenge you to do that because for example, what we see, you know, it's like in terms of recruiting, it's super easy for me to recruit in business. Like I have zero issue to find the best talents, but when it comes to the tech side, it's very difficult because we don't, they don't show their work. They don't show how good they are. And that's um, why I really pushed Vianney to start vlogging. And now we have one person in charge of Vianney's personal brand and, and he starts vlogging. Wow. So okay. Having like a CTO to vlog is something you would never see. Like it's, it's very uncommon. And this is really funny because he's like 45 years old going outside of his comfort zone, talking <laughs> in French, very like CTO mindset. So very sharp, very direct and bold. And, and this is amazing, but yeah. But this was an issue. They were feeling like maybe you're hogging all the limelight. Maybe you're getting like you're getting a lot of attention, but also maybe you're getting distracted. And 
you, instead of backing down, said, you know what? You used to push me and say, I wasn't doing enough and closing enough sales. Now I'm going to push you. You're not doing enough to raise your profile. Do you guys have to go through therapy or something? No, <laughs> we, no do okay. our, we do our therapy together. You no, do? So, yeah, Just we, by we, being together? Yeah, yeah. We, we spend a lot of time talking. And I think like something that's very important is that we are like good at putting our ego aside uh-huh. Um, which I think is the worst thing. Like people with a lot of ego in business, like don't, I think can't solve a lot of issues mm-hmm. when, uh, whereas like on our end, you know, it's like, sometimes like Janet told me, yeah, like, yeah, of course you're getting the spotlight. So like, yeah, of course I'm, I'm being jealous. And then I said, okay, fine. Mm, you know, like you're wow. going to start doing interviews in French. And I sent him, you know, like doing interviews. And then after the first interview, he came back and say, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is, and then I told him like, yeah, do, do you really feel like it's, it's super nice to repeat all the time the same thing? It's not like right now, you know, we're having like a, a very Yeah, but also right from but, the beginning of the conversation, you, you had to sit down as I kind of ragged on your business. <laughs> I had to ask you about your dad and not talking to your dad. Right. A lot of people wouldn't want to put up with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he it's, didn't. It's, yeah, and he didn't. Okay. But but now, you know, it's like I'm challenging him on the personal brand. And now it's been, I think, a month since he has started doing that. And he loves it. He loves it because he gets traction, messages. and yeah, What's nonviolent cool. communication? Apparently, you studied that to learn how to talk to him. I don't know what yes. that is. So actually, I, I wasn't the one like uh, coming up with, with this. But it's essentially like instead of blaming other people for what they do, you should talk about how you feel. So for example, like very specific example, um, at some point our customers were asking me, you know, like when would this feature be available? And they were asking me this so many times. So I would come to Vianne and Francois and ask them like, when would this feature be available? And then they would say, stop micromanaging me, micromanaging me, you know? And, And then I was like, I'm not micromanaging. I'm just, you know, like willing to understand. And for them, it was micromanagement. And for me, it was them not willing to give a deadline, which is really annoying. And, and eventually, you know, like micromanagement would be like telling them, I need a deadline right now and you're not giving deadlines, which is wrong. And nonviolent communication would be, you know, when you're not giving me deadlines of when the feature is up, it put a lot of pressure on me because first, I don't know what to answer to our customers, not even a time frame. And secondly, it means either I have to lie to them or find out something which is not something I'm comfortable doing with. And by doing this, they understand the position you're in. And on their end, they're saying like, yeah, but if you ask me constantly about something, it puts more pressure on me. And, you know, you talk more about your feeling and then it's much easier to solve issues, I think. Do you recommend I read this book? They're actually, from what I can see, not a Kindle version of the book. It's a there's an e-textbook, which I don't even know what that is. Should I get that? Is that what helped you do it? To be honest, I think like even reading like uh, a few articles about that mm. is is enough. It's just a, a mindset and trying to implement it. All right. I don't want to overthink it. You're right. Um, <laughs> I think I do that with Olivia, my wife, without recognizing that I do it. And then with everyone else, I don't do it. I'm, I'm the opposite, much more willing to listen, much more willing to talk about what I <laughs> say. You know what I mean? Mm. All right. What's what's next now that we're closing this out? Where are you guys going with Lemlist? Uh, we want to be like a, a unicorn, bootstrap unicorn in the next three years. So keeping that hyper growth, keeping providing value and, and trying to really like change the market. Because I think like a lot of people, you know, and, and you started out the, the podcast like this, you know, is, yeah, is this spam? Like I'm sick of receiving, like I love, I love it, but I also hate it. And I think like, Helping people build relationship and true relationship is, is really awesome. And the truth is like technology right now has pushed people to be a bit more lazy in the way they do things. And it's, it's not the right way of doing this. So for me, like education is a, is a big part of what we do. And, uh, and I want to push this really, really hard in the next years to come. So wait, you're now, can you say the revenue? I, I don't know if you told me in private or in public, what's the revenue now? Uh, we're at $8 million in $8 million. So in order to yeah. get to be a unicorn, where would you say the revenue needs to be? Uh, it's about 10x from that. So between between 70 to 100, you're a unicorn. In, okay. In, uh, yeah. And so in order to get that kind of billion dollar valuation, that kind of revenue, what do you need to add? You can't continue to just do this, right? It, it needs to go more multi-channel, but what's the what's the vision? What's the tool set or the customers that allow you to get to that? 
So it's, I mean, there are, first of all, like there is, there are room for in the market for, for such a company, especially like uh, we are focused on, you know, like scale up SMBs, even though we have like, we have several options. One could be going up markets. So we have customer like Zendesk, Amazon, et cetera, but they came kind of like naturally and we could mm-hmm. go and, and dig in and get more enterprise level of customers. Or we could just like um, focus really on this SMB, nail the market, have like hundreds of thousands of customers, like, uh, you know, like companies like Monday.com, for example, like they have like this huge amount of customers. So that's one of the possibility. Another thing could be like uh, increase, you know, at our average revenue per user by adding new products. So for yeah. example, we're in the sales automation space. Uh, we connect naturally with a lot of CRMs, but I don't know anyone who's happy with their CRM. <laughs> so yeah. everyone like is using like, I don't know, HubSpot, Salesforce, Pipedrive, but every time he's complaining about it, which I think is, it's also like a huge pain and there is a huge space for this. So it's, it's just a matter, you know, of getting, for me, as long as you're providing value to your users and you're making them successful, then you can really grow big and fast, you know, and, and for me, this is the sole focus. Yeah. I agree with you on the CRM. They all freaking stink. I yep. keep trying <laughs> them so much. I just paid for, for clay. Do you know this clay.earth? No, I guess they're still in the, in the, uh, secret beta phase. I, I was paying them for a month and then I get on a call to onboard yesterday with them. And I said, I don't even know who you are. You didn't give me access to your software and you've been charging me. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm willing to pay it because all CRMs just stink. And then I saw what they had. And truthfully, it's not there yet. It's okay. It's hard. It's hard. Or... <laughs> I, I think what they have is an, is just an interesting, okay, start. Okay. There isn't anything revolutionary yet, but you know, it's super early. They're, they're giving me a test flight. You know, that's okay. where they are right now. I'm <laughs> but sure they're they making just, you pay. <laughs> yeah, I bet that it was because they wanted to curate who they got on calls with and whose um, whose problems they wanted to look at. Yeah. You know, it was just them trying to understand it. But it is kind of awkward. I, I wonder if they really did charge my credit card or if it yeah. was just a, a test. <laughs> Either way, I think you're right. CRM needs to be improved. Do you feel like there's any kind of risk in being so tied into this type of email that's connected to spam where you're your people are going to start to get, I don't know, hit with a Gmail issue or something? No, I, I don't think so, to be honest, because we're fighting spam. And uh, and the truth is like, we are like really working hard and teaching hard, like uh, people, you know, how to to build relationship. And, and the truth is like with our content and with what we're doing, like recently, you know, I did like, um, I launched a masterclass and in one hour, I made like uh, more than a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, by selling this masterclass people people want to learn like there is a real need for that and and the more i see like people like because what i did with this masterclass is i i'm also spending so i'm doing like weekly coaching calls with everyone and i'm doing also like for the first hundred we bought the masterclass like a a one-on-one coaching session and i see you know like from this coaching course and i can see like the difference from people when they join when they learned and how great you know their business is going after learning all these things and and to me this is where i know that i'm doing the right thing and i know that there is such a huge market out there that we're on the right path all right the website is lemlist.com thanks so much for being on here man thanks a lot andrew i had a great time me too. All right. I want to thank two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you, well, you've already know, I've been talking about this. Your your other listeners, my other listeners have been signing up to HostGator and I highly recommend that you do it too. HostGator.com slash Mixergy, especially if you decide to do this uh, lead guru business. I know you're running late, so I'll also close it out by saying Overpass. If you need to hire salespeople, go to Overpass.com slash Mixergy. Gee, thanks. Thanks a lot, Andrew.